G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. How can you help someone who is suffering intensely? When Job's friends heard about his adversity, they came to see him. They genuinely cared for him and were in anguish when they saw him suffer so much. In fact, they were so shocked by what they saw that they lifted up their voices and wept, tore their garments, threw dust on their heads, and sat in silence for seven days. But this is the best they did. From this point on, all they said not only did not help Job, it greatly increased his sufferings. The problem is that instead of just being his friends, they tried to be his counsellors also. They gave their opinions about why he was suffering, and this left him feeling condemned. So how can you help someone who has suffered so badly that they even question God? Such a person is likely to say things that he or she would afterwards regret. When a suffering friend expresses bitterness, the temptation is to respond to their outburst rather than minister to their pain. What people need most in their sufferings is an assurance of God's love. The most important thing we can do is to be there for them and listen to them. This is Set Free with Ken Legg. And thank you for joining us. It's Phil here along with author and pastor Ken Legg. And this week... When bad things happen to God's people, it's something I guess all of us have struggled with at one time or another. And uh, so far we've seen when uh, Job went through his sufferings, Satan had a part to play in it. But then he disappears and Ken, now his friends come along and they give him a hard time. I don't know, he'd actually call them friends, would you? Yeah. <laughs> well, you're friends like that, who needs enemies? Yeah, that's right. Well, by the time they turned up, of course, weeks had gone by since Job suffered all those calamities. So he can't understand what's going on. He's got lots of questions, especially about why he's even there. You know, he says, Mm. why was I conceived if this is my life? You know, why didn't I die at birth? Why can't I die now? What's the point of a life that is so miserable? So these are just some of the questions that he asks. Now, the problem with these friends is that instead of being comforters, they try to be counselors. They came to console him but ended up condemning him. If you like, you could say they become Satan's secret weapons Mm. to try to get Job to turn against God. The only explanation they had to offer is that Job must have sinned. So here we've got a second view of suffering that's faulty. Now we we saw that um, you know some people blame Satan for all the suffering in the world. Of course he's the root of it, but he's not the total answer. So if, we, if he's our only explanation, that's a faulty theology. But these guys also have a thought, faulty theology, and it's this, that the righteous always prosper, the wicked always suffer. Mm. Interesting when these three mates come around and you look at the book of Job, there's almost all of the 42 chapters taken up with that dialogue between them. Mm. So... This is kind of important for us to know what they were saying to him and maybe to sum up their counsel in these chapters and draw some things out of it. Well, let's try to do that. I mean, um, for, as you say, 42 chapters, but we'll do our best. They, they all came up basically, Phil, with the same answer for suffering, though they come at it at different ways. Now, the first one to speak is this guy called Eliphaz. Some of you refer to him as Eliphaz the Eloquent because he knows how to say unpleasant things in a nice <laughs> way. But though he begins with sympathy for Job, 
his true philosophy comes out. Let me read to you what he basically said in chapter 4 and verses 7 and 8. He says, Remember now, whoever perished being innocent, or when were the upright ever cut off? As I have seen, those who plough iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So basically saying, Job, you've sown and now you're reaping. You got what you deserve. So according to him, God is like the tax man. Uh, he balances the books at the ends of the end of the tax year, and uh, whatever Job's been sowing, well, now he's reaping. And uh, if we are suffering right now, then the philosopher would be, well, you must have been sinning. Uh, suffering is always the consequence of one's personal sin. That, that's a pretty common thought, even today. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, somebody somebody uh, goes through a hard time. They, what do they say? What have I done to deserve this? Mm. <laughs> or we talk about karma. You know, what goes around comes around. Mm. So life is catching up with me. So it, it it is common today, as you say. But Eliphaz actually bases his counsel first of all on g- general observation. He says, "This is what I've seen." In other words, this is, I've observed this in life. This is what happens. Mm-hmm. And then he says, I even had a dream or a vision, like God came in and supernaturally revealed this to me or confirmed it to me. So he appeals to Job to respond to God's chastening with repentance. And he basically says, look, Job, if you repent, you'll be healed. Uh, it's as simple as that. Mm. Doesn't sound like he was a very nice sort of a character. <laughs> I'm sure there are some listeners who have experienced some counsel like that from somebody in their life. The reason you're suffering is because you know, you've got sin in your life. Yeah, even though God's own testimony of Job is that actually he was the most righteous man alive. So if he was suffering for his sin, these guys better watch out because they're going to get even worse. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If that's the way it works, you know. But of course, Job rejected their counsel totally. But in the next round, Eliphaz is not so courteous this time. He takes a harder line. In the first round, he urged Job to repent, saying that the happiness of those who turn back to God is apparent, you know, so turn back to God and everything will be all right. But now he starts using fear manipulation. He says, if you don't, there's more trouble up ahead for you. And then in the third round, he becomes even more upset and angry and he goes further. Without any evidence whatsoever, Phil, he presumptuously accuses Job with all the typical sins that were practiced by men of position in the East at that time. Corruption of justice, oppression of the poor, dishonesty in business, blatant materialism, religious hypocrisy, and on and on he goes, laying all these charges at Job. And of course, Job is devastated. I can't imagine he would have felt very good at all, really. And his other friends didn't give too much other good advice either, did they? No, well, the next one that comes along is Bildad. Bildad the Shuhite. As somebody once said, a very small man. Why is that? He's Jew height. Oh, goodness yeah, yeah. me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Anyway. Anyway, he's a legalist. He doesn't care about how he comes across. He's totally unmoved by Job's cries. He, he feels that God has been slandered, and he's got to rush into God's defense. How about this, Phil? He even suggests that Job's children were taken because they sinned. How would you like that? You just lost your kids, and this guy comes along and says, oh, well, it's obvious that they were sinning. That's why God took them. Mm. And so he appeals again to Job to repent and bases his argument upon tradition. He says, this is how it always has been. This is the way it always is. So if you get right with God, things will start going right in your life. His philosophy is that God is always just and fair, and people always get what they deserve. Mm. What about his other mate? Uh, the last one is Zophar the Zealous. Now, he's a dogmatist. He's even more dogmatic and ruthless, if that's possible, than the previous two. So whilst Eliphaz bases his argument upon experience and could say, I have seen, and Bildad bases his upon tradition and says, you look in times past, this is how it's always been, Zophar simply says, know this. Don't you hate it when people say, listen mm-hmm. to me, just listen to me. I've got the truth, I've buddy. Got, I've got the truth. Yeah. Uh, Job must have been feeling like, how do I find 
real godly counsel in the middle of all of this. Yeah. And he said something really interesting. He called them miserable comforters. <laughs> Um, you know, suffering people can sometimes push to the edge of despair. I can imagine he was feeling like that sometimes. So how do we minister to someone who's in a suffering situation like that? Well, actually, Job gives them advice about what they should be doing to somebody in his position. He says four things. First of all, he says you should listen, first of all. In chapter 13, verse 5, he says, Oh, that you would be silent, and that would be your <laughs> wisdom. Just listen up. You know, just just listen to me. Listen to my pain. Today's terminology, shut up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's that saying that there's two kinds of people, those that have got something to say and those that have got to say something. Yeah. And they were in the in the latter um, category. You know, people don't want to be preached at when they're suffering. They, they just need someone that's going to listen to them. Yeah. The second thing he says is accept the limitations of human knowledge. You know, he says, no doubt you're the people and wisdom will die with you. You know, you've got all the answers. You know it all. You know, I think one of the things that when we minister to those that are going through suffering, we don't have to have answers. You know, it took me a while to learn that. I think, oh, you've got to come up with all the answers and all the biblical reasons and so on. But sometimes, you know, we just don't know. And and, Mm -hmm. and it's good to say, look, I don't know. I can't say why this is happening. But I'm here with you. But I'm here with you. Yeah. And the third thing uh, that he says is, look, if we haven't been there, then we can't know. He says, in the thought of one who is at ease, there's contempt for misfortune. In other words, yeah, from where you're sitting, you, you know, this is how you sit. How about you come and sit where I am right now? Mm. You'd have a different point of view. So, so, you know, if we haven't been there, we can't really know. And then lastly, he says, of course, the greatest thing is always love. To him who is afflicted, he said, kindness should be shown by his friend. And, you know, we don't have to agree with everything that that person says. But the most important thing, as you've said, Phil, is that we are there for them, that we weep with those who weep. Love never fails. Good insight today on what to do when bad things happen to God's people. We'll continue our conversation tomorrow. And in the meantime, remember, you don't have to carry that baggage. God wants you to be set free. For books, DVDs, small group studies and other resources from Ken Legg, including the book Grace Roots, which features topics from today's message, visit the Vision Christian store at vision.org.au. That's vision.org.au. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.